Do y'all want to know a secret about post-it notes? I just learned this the other day and found it so exciting I covered our poor summer intern's desk with purple post-it notes. Sorry, Andrew. Here's the deal. You know how you normally tear off a single post-it by pulling up from the bottom? It turns out that that's the reason your post-its curl up and eventually fall off the wall. If you pull the post-it off the pad sideways instead, from left to right or right to left across the glue, your post-it will stick flat to the wall and stay up longer. Today's episode has lots more fun facts about topics you might not know you're interested in. Guest hosts Kevin Dupstick and Cameron Johnson learn how to make their own salami from Elias Cairo of Olympia Provisions. Senior associate editor Matt Goulet tries to convince executive editor Peter Martin to care about bird watching, and Roy Berenson compares socket wrenches to geometry. Summer vacations mean lots of time in the car for catching up with your favorite podcasts, so we hope you're enjoying this one. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. So this segment is called, Can Matt Goulet Make Peter Martin Care About Birds? Um, and Peter the, Martin or anyone. And, or anyone. I'm standing uh, in for the everyman today. Yes, Peter Martin will be the everyman who doesn't care about birds. Um, this How this happened is we're, co- we're going to be covering bird watching in an upcoming issue. And Peter Martin put up a really big fight <laughs> against this happening. Uh, it's, I don't want to put on my vest and go sit in the yard and watch a hummingbird and, and no I call my dad about to, it. Peter. No one's saying you but have I to. But I want to know a few cool things about exactly. birds. Exactly. And that's all it is. It's like opening up your world to... Opening my world to beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Peter doesn't want that at all. Nope. We, we have offices right by Central Park, which is one of like the top... 10 places in the country to see it really is incredible amounts of birds we kind of created like a bird trap really yeah with oh, like central you know, park central park yeah it's like a artificial bird trap walk through the park at dusk or in the morning on your way in and you will you'll be blown away by the the variety of life those are birding hours early day and end of day uh they say like up until about noon and then like again at dusk they get active again so Let's start with like one you would typically see, and, and I think this will actually impress you, because it's a bird we see all the time. It's called the European starling, and it's a little black bird. It kind of looks like a smaller version of a crow, and like during the winter, it'll kind of get like white speckles on it, and it's kind of got like a little greenish tinge in the neck. Like it's almost got these like oily-looking feathers and an orange beak. Those birds are all throughout North America. There's about 200 million of them, they estimate, throughout the entire country. All of them stem from one set of 100 birds of those European starlings that were introduced into Central Park in the 1890s. Um, and they were put in Central Park in the 1890s because the people behind the park wanted to have all the bird species um, that were ever mentioned by Shakespeare to like populate the park. I think that's kind of impressive. That's cool, cool. bird fact. Yeah. That is a cool bird and fact. And the other cool thing about these guys do is um, they're kind of asshole birds. They'll all like run and cr- yeah. Sorry, yeah, they're, they're jerks. Um, they'll they'll run in like gangs or, or mobs and they'll like push off other birds off like uh, electrical wires and stuff like that. That sounds like a pretty asshole bird thing to do. With Jackie, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> They're like typical aggressive New Yorkers. Like they'll fight for their spot on the subway. Uh, but what they'll do is, if they're trying to nest and it's like late in the season, they haven't the the mother bird hasn't female bird hasn't built its nest yet. It will like try to kick out a like a woodpecker out of its nest that it's like a hole that's stuck in a tree. And most of the time, like, it'll win. Like, they're really aggressive. And if, yeah. like, a woodpecker tries to defend its nest that it's spent all its time making, a European starling will go in there and be like, nest is mine now. I'm surprised because a woodpecker, you'd think, would be a pretty good fighter. That's true. Yeah. And I know one. this is one of my favorite birds. I, I have one. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but the one woodpecker that would not lose that fight, the peleated woodpecker? I believe so, yeah. The coolest bird in the world. Wait, what? What's cool about it's like them? A Nineteen-inch tall bird that Woody Woodpecker was based on, 
and it looks crazy. That's big. It's a huge bird. Whoa. And with a crazy woodpecker beak. Those are cool birds. Because they don't look like they should be real. Yeah, but there are a lot of birds like that. Last year, um, uh, a bird called a painted bunting showed up in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And it's like this super crazy, colorful bird. It's got like these greens and reds and, and, and yellows um, in its plumage. Um, but that bird showed up in the middle of November. Sort of was like a mild beginning part of the winter. It's a pretty bird. <laughs> it's a pretty bird. Whoa, that looks like a parrot. That's crazy. But that bird is like not supposed to be in our area like ever. If any if and any time it's here, it so would be really in the summer. Dumb painted bunting. It, well, yeah, yeah. It, it usually is not seen further north in Arkansas, and it popped up in Prospect Park, and people went nuts. <laughs> it was like having Prince like accidentally show up here at a house party and playing a set. Especially having, now. Yeah, having that bird show up. Too right. soon for Prince jokes, guys. I thought that was reasonable. He's, no, he's a I colorful can't. bird. I don't no, know. <laughs> Elton John in a bird costume <laughs> coming to your house party. The fact that you can like go outside and say like, "Oh, look, this thing in nature is happening in front of me right now," and I can, and I can notice it. That's that like I, a cool. That's a cool thing to have. I don't care about that. I care if somebody says, "Oh, that bird just flew by," and you can say, "Oh, that." That's a or sec- like children. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to let down a child. He's like, "What's that?" You're like, that's a brown bird. I hang out with a lot of eight-year-olds. <laughs> um, I do nieces. Yeah. And I want to be able to answer their question. Here well, the probably easiest thing you can do to impress them is like when you guys come upon a uh, blue jay. Here, I'll even add uh, an audio element to this. Like it's called a blue jay for a reason because you hear that? Yeah, it's a it, bird. It's saying J, J, J. That's why it's called a J. That's the J call. Hmm. Uh, That's okay. sci- it also sounds kind of like, yay. All right, I'm going to play a better bird call. <laughs> This is so we went to. I mean that, that could, was a stretch. That's a good. Like that's a guy named Jay. In New Zealand, they have a bird called the Tui. Coolest bird by sound. It sounds like a video game. Like there's a there's a wooden block knocking in the background and like a there's a wind chime that happens. So I'm gonna see if I can. Wait, pull it this always up. sounds like that, or it, is it like a because mi- mimicking it, birds are the coolest. When no, they it's like... it's a, that's its call and oh. it, it lasts for like 20 seconds sometimes. So, we're going to see if this one's any good. There's a wood block. There's a monkey. That's there's an great. R2-D2 thing in there. That is straight up an R2-D2 sounding bird. It's an awesome bird. Did you actually see it? Yeah, Which they're all over like? the place. They're that's just, called they're, a Tui? They're black. Oh, that's not that cool. I like the, the wood block. It has a cool white, it has a white like, pouch in its neck that yeah. inflates. That's kind of cool. You give me an inflatable pouch, I'll watch a bird. That was super <laughs> cool sounding. Best sounding bird there is. Huh. Hummingbirds are cool too. What's happening to me? I think hummingbirds. <laughs> I've always thought hummingbirds. I'm getting on that side fully. big, big bird fan. <laughs> but those I, are cool just as a Hummingbirds are cool because they like, weigh nothing. Yeah. Like they weigh nothing and they eat so much. And their like, wings so are so much. small. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they just so like narrow. flap like crazy. They actually make like a figure eight motion instead Wait. of like a typical like up and down. Oh, the wing does? Yeah, that's what kind of lets them go stay in place. Oh, really? That's yeah. Cool. You'd think they'd get like little bird tendonitis moving that fast. <laughs> Who's to say they don't? Maybe they do. Right. <laughs> yeah, nobody's really How long do hummingbirds live? Matt's our closest thing to a bird expert. I don't know. I'm feeling pretty It seems I like feel if like your heart is... beats that quickly, you can't have that long of a lifespan. That's right? true. Maybe. Small things tend to last to live longer than big things, though. Really? Yeah. Humans, animals. I'm going to live forever, y'all. 
All right. Birds, stupid or amazing? <laughs> uh, amazing. Stupid to talk about. But in context, if I've, you're out, let's say you're out on a walk uh, on a nice summer evening with your wife and something flew past you and you were able to say, oh, that's a European starling. Did you know? Luckily, we're already married, so she couldn't. It's hard to get divorced over something like that. that bad. <laughs> There's a section on the divorce papers that are like, talks too much about birds. <laughs> that's what irreconcilable differences generally is. He ID'd a bird on a hike we were taking and I cut him off. Or like, think if you were writing a novel, how much more descriptive and, and exciting your book would be if you were able to. <laughs> I don't know. Have you read, talk jo- about this have you read Jonathan bird? Franzen? Yeah, didn't he do a bird thing? He's very into birding. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, why can't we get John? Why do you get Matt instead of Jonathan Franzen? <laughs> I mean, because Jonathan Franzen might punch you for not being into birding. That would have been fascinating. So, um,. I mean, I think the first question for me is just, if you can define what it means to cure meat, we were, we've, Cameron and I have both been uh, looking through the Olympic Provisions book, and you obviously go through a variety of techniques, and I was just curious if, you know, all of those different techniques are considered types of curing, or, you know, if you just had to kind of summarize for someone, like, what does it mean to cure meat? What's, what's happening? Totally. Uh, when I think of the word charcuterie, like, I am considered a charcuterist or a salumist. To take all of the romance out of that word, I am a value-added meat maker. <laughs> so if you're, I know it's totally gnarly. Uh, <laughs> if you're trying to better the product of meat by either adding value to it in flavor or extending the shelf life, that is kind of the base of charcuterie. I would say that I get requests quite a bit to teach classes. You know, and everybody wants to cure meat, and you know. They really, really want to jump heads in. You know, they want to do dry cures, you know, prosciutto, lomo, guanciale, pancetta, and they want to make salami, you know, fermented meat that's dry cured. Mm-hmm. And I'm always very much of the school, you know, that's kind of like learning how to ski on a very scary black diamond run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you should enjoy the process of learning how to preserve meat and start with stuff that's very easy that you can see the results you know, possibly next day, and also not have to worry about killing anybody. If you were to uh, fully be committed to dry curing something, um, to eat and uh, consume raw, I would point you in the direction of making a flat pancetta or a guanciale. Because you'll, you'll get it done in about a month and a half. And you, it's really safe. You know, and it's uh, it's a it's a cool product. It tastes delicious, and even if you don't like it raw, mm-hmm. you crisp it up and put it on a pizza. You know, you toss it into a crunchy salad. You you know, make it into carbonara. There's a million ways to use it, and even if it's not like absolutely perfect, you're still not going to waste much time, and you're, the product's most likely going to be usable. So, can you maybe just walk us through, like, let's say a flat pancetta? Okay. You're going to go to a butcher that can cut fresh pork belly. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get X amount. You're going to get uh, your salt, your your Instacure 2, and whatever the spices that you want. You are going to weigh that on a scale, get your percentage of meat to salt ratio. You're going to cover that up into the salt mixture. You're going to wrap it, and you're going to keep it in your fridge for five days. Then you're going to flip it over for another five days, so that's 10 days right there. That's the same as that you would bacon as well, with just a little less salt and a different nitrate. And you're saying you're, you're wrapping it like in saran wrap or something? 
you know, uh, you could. I would use if you if you had a large enough Ziploc bag. Mm-hmm. That's the old, that's super sweet because you know you drop it in there, you seal it, then you don't even have to do anything. You just flip the whole bag over. Yeah. But if you don't have that, you could just do it in like a casserole dish with plastic over the top of it, and okay. then take it out and flip it over. Either which either which way. Uh, you do that, um, and then at at this point you've essentially have pancetta. So 10 days in, without it even being dry, you would have a pancetta that you could cook. You would take it out, you would rinse it, and then you would slice it thin and crisp it up, and it's going to be a form of a very quick pancetta. Mm-hmm. Where you want it to create its really awesome pancetta flavor, you would rinse it off at that point, you would hang it in your dry box, 58 degrees, 75% humidity, very slow trickle for a week and a half, two weeks until it loses about half of its weight from where you started, your initial weight. Mm-hmm. And then you would be ready to have a delicious pancetta. I think I need to try this. Yeah. So I went into Roy Berenson's office earlier this week and was asking about the difference between socket wrenches and ratcheting wrenches. I mean, it's it's one of these um, funny things that people don't think about much. This is almost like a geometry question, like, you know, not all four-sided things are squares, but all squares are four-sided. <laughs> Whatever that is, a rhombus. <laughs> the square is a rhombus. Is a clearly a, I, we both paid a lot of attention. In <laughs> yeah, right. But. Anyway, a socket wrench is a form of ratcheting wrench. Okay. Ra- not all ratcheting wrenches are socket wrenches. A socket wrench is a specific kind of ratcheting wrench. Can you hear that? Okay. Oh. Ratcheting wrenches is a wrench with a gear mechanism that allows you to tighten or loosen a fastener and then make a stroke in the opposite direction without undoing the work that you just did. If that right. does that make sense? So Yeah, it's kinda like a like a bicycle flywheel almost. Like like the thing that allows well, you to like hold your feet steady while the wheel turns. You know, you'll move the fastener, let's say you're gonna tighten it, you're gonna move that forward, the fastener forward by turning the wrench forward. And then on the backstroke, you engage that, that gear mechanism, if you can hear right. that. yeah. And the handle is turning, but not the fastener. Right. And what's the advantage of that? Several things. Uh, one is that you can tighten or loosen something in a tight spot. It happens a lot when working on cars. You know, oh, that, that right. the swing of the wrench is, is impeded, blocked by something, you know, a, another part or the, the car itself. So you can, let's say you tighten, and then you can just, like, move back a little bit, you know, without loosening what you just did, tighten some more, uh-huh. move back, And you don't have to get new more. grip on it every time. Yeah, right. Any ratchet maintains contact with the fastener. Mm-hmm. So you're never, you know, taking the tool off, repositioning it, making your turn, taking the tool off, repositioning mm-hmm. it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, is what happens. Now, the thing is, you know, to get to the heart of your question, uh, socket wrenches, which take a socket. And wait, what is a socket? A socket's like a sleeve. Sort yeah, of thing. it is a sleeve. Yeah, okay. it's a sleeve. It's a metal sleeve that is um, formed to, to fit over the head of something. Uh, and that, you know, clicks on to the socket wrench mm-hmm. and you can it makes the wrench whoops 
Dropping sockets. Dropping sockets. Dropping sockets. Um, it, it makes one wrench capable of of turning multiple fasteners. Now here's a this is called a box end wrench, and you can hear it's got a it's oh, got a yeah. ratchet feature. So unlike a normal see this end yeah. has got no that almost looks like a beer opener, like a long skinny beer opener. Yeah, well you it, know, like it, a church key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like it looks like a church key or a bottle opener, beer opener. Um, one end is a is a fixed box end wrench and the other is a ratcheting. Has a ratcheting yeah. head in it. So again, and that does the same thing as a socket wrench, only for just one size. Correct. Okay. Uh, this uh, obviously the box end, the ratcheting box end is limited to a specific size. In this case, nine sixteenths. But you know the beauty of this is that you put this nine sixteenth inch ratcheting box end wrench. You know, put that over the fastener, and you know just crank, tightens in one direction, flip it over, loosens in the other oh. direction. You have a socket wrench that has ratcheting action, and then you have a uh, a box. wrench that has a box wrench that has the ratcheting action, but no socket. And now you have a thing that has a socket but no ratchet. That's correct, man. Yeah, this is uh, a nut driver, so okay. it has this. It's a, it's a screwdriver with this socket-like thing on the end. Yep. Now this this is a a, a special nut driver and that as you can see it's completely hollow whoa hold, hold that see, up and you I can, can see, see you through this right it's like looking through it's like, like a telescope hi, whoa, Jackie. I can see hi <laughs> right it's uh the socket is hollow right through the shaft right through the handle so that if you're you know putting a a, a nut on and this happens a lot in electrical work electricians use these things the threaded shaft um, that it's called all thread threaded rod is much longer and it, it, if if it's so long it would prevent the socket from ever reaching the nut on there. Oh, right. So this one you just slide it right over and even if it comes all the way out the handle it doesn't matter that that uh, socket is going to sit on the nut. But, uh, you know. but that seems like a very specific tool because like your the screw's got to be a certain width and so does the nut. Right, because um, if the yeah, screws well, too right. I mean, this is uh, like the box end wrench. These come. You get a set of these. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, this is cool. I'm glad I've I've learned all this. Yeah, you know, when you see this thing, you'll call it a socket wrench. Yep. You know, you can call this a ratcheting box end wrench. Uh, I will probably not remember that, but I, I I will know that is it is a ratcheting wrench that is not a socket wrench. Correct. Well, yeah. I can at least say that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then this thing here is a nut driver. Yeah. You know? Nut driver. Have you? Uh, do you know that ratchet is a uh, it's a wrap term for someone who's trashy? Did you know that? Really? Yeah. We were looking it up. We were trying to figure out uh, the difference between um, a ratcheting wrench and a socket wrench before I came and asked you. And there's a lot of urban di dictionary results. Oh, and not and kind of trashy results at that. Who knew? I mean, <laughs> it's, it seems like you know, no mechanical activity is safe. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's a ratcheting wrench, but it's not a ratchet wrench. Uh, right. Because who knows yeah, what yeah, that would yeah, even yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as as they say, don't go there. So for our testing table today, uh, I'm the only person who's been testing anything this week. So because everyone's out of town for the summer, so Kevin. Yeah, I'm surprised you're here. That's it seems. Like I know. Everyone's. Well, yeah. you and I weren't even here last week. Yeah. But now we're back. Probably everybody was here last week. They probably were. There's I, all I just kinds assume, of testing going on last week. I know. I assume no one's here at all. Yeah. Um, but no. So I am testing, and, and Kevin Dupsick thankfully uh, agreed to stop by and talk to me, <laughs> so I don't have to talk to myself about what I'm testing. 
Um, so I'm testing the Jewel from St- from Chef Steps, which is actually coming out in September. Um, but they have prototypes available now, and I like mm-hmm. playing with p- prototypes in part because if something goes wrong, then you can tell them about it, and maybe they'll fix it. Yeah. Um, it's a sous vide machine, a, uh, an immersion circulator. That's like, isn't that where you like laminate some food and then put it in the water? This is sort of. Um, this one, uh, you put your food in a plastic bag, and then you, so this is the immersion circulator. It is about as tall. It's like a rolling pin or like a roll mm-hmm. of, of uh, paper towels about that size, but skinnier. Yeah. Um, you put it in a pot that's not on the stove. The pot's just on like a trivet or something like yeah. that. And then uh, you let it heat up the water and it heats up the water to less than boiling. So it's like a medium temperature. Yeah. Like you're looking at like 140-ish, 160, depending okay. on what you're cooking. Some, yeah. Sometimes a little less than that. So I tried it last night. I have never actually cooked sous vide before, which is amazing. I haven't either. And I've, I have friends who do it and just swear by it. Um, so I was really excited about it. And last night I made um, I made a chicken breast with... Uh, like rosemary and olive oil and salt and pepper and all that. Mm-hmm. And I actually bought some pesto to put on top of it because I was like, chicken breasts are dry. And I actually am terrified of cooking chicken breasts because I'm always afraid of undercooking. I don't want to make them dry and gross, but yeah. if I'm cooking them for other people, I want them to be, can you imagine serving a raw chicken breast? You'd be so embarrassed about that. Yeah. Um, or I would be. Maybe you wouldn't be. I don't know. Well. But, um, <laughs> Um, and I, but you don't want to like cut into somebody else's food before serving it to them to make yeah. sure it's, no, it's all hard. Right through, and I, you know? well, and I don't, I mean, I think chicken gets dry so easily. I, I honestly rarely make chicken. Um, so I tried it with a chicken breast for that reason. Cause I was like, let's try it. And the app, so the way the jewel works is it's a, uh, it's the emergency circulator and it connects to your phone and your phone mm-hmm. runs the thing. So the app is on here. And what you do is when you open it, click on poultry and just go like basic chicken breast, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. It says like roughly the amount of time it's going to take. And then you go to set temp. And then they've got all these different temperatures. And they actually show you oh, that's like what the chicken will look like, which is – that's a cool idea. You know, it, it's actually – it's more interesting maybe um, with eggs, which is what I cooked this morning. So Wait, egg. you can sous vide an egg? Oh, yeah, you can sous vide an egg. Wait, wait, wait. You have to read the names. Oh, okay, wait, well, yeah, yeah, since, yeah. Since our listeners can't <laughs> see the pictures, maybe they'll get the idea if they hear the names. Right, so they, they so basically when you click into the type of food that you're going to want, say, let's say you're mm-hmm. going to do an egg, um, you, <laughs> these names are absolutely ridiculous. They show you a photo of what the yolk will look like, what the white will look mm-hmm. like, and you can see exactly how watery or jelly or whatever and they give you the temperature that's going to cook at and so it says like for example if you cook it at 140 degrees uh it, you're going to get watery walt and <laughs> if you go to 142 you get runny ron 144 is gooey greg <laughs> i went with uh even fudger francesca and then uh solid sam the chicken was transcendent i'm not even really kidding. oh my god i seriously i got done with it i was like this a this is what i'm buying my mom for christmas i hope you don't listen to this mom because uh, that's supposed to be a surprise. But uh, I, that's what I'm getting my mom for Christmas. I'm buying one. Yeah. Everyone I know needs to have one. I'm never cooking chicken again any other way. Because I, you put a little olive oil in the bag and everything. You, you leave it there. I, di- I left it there for an hour, took a yoga class, mm-hmm. came back, and uh, you you sear the sides of the chicken to give it like a crispy skin. Because right, yeah. I, I got a uh, breast with skin on it. Mm-hmm. And it was so tasty. It was okay. so tasty that I forgot that I had gotten pesto to put on it. 
Really? I ate it without any, like it, I had seasoning on it, but I mm-hmm. ate it without any sort of sauce or anything. Jewel, you guys aren't getting this back for a week or so because I'm definitely making steak in it. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> okay, so the chicken was transcendent, but it sounds like the egg was a little trickier. So I put my egg in, first of all, it took an hour, which I was like 30 minutes late to work. It's not what you're thinking work. when you make <laughs> you know? eggs. Yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, well, maybe on the weekend, but like I often eat a poached egg for breakfast during mm-hmm. the week and like this is not going to work. So it tells you to add a little warm water to the bag so it'll cook evenly. Mm-hmm. Then you cook it and then it says fear not the goopy bits because there's going to be a little like white that didn't set around the outside. Yeah. Well, in my case, none of the white set. So After I... After an hour? Yeah. I don't know why that was. It. I mean, it, it was a little... Like there were some clotted bits. It was a little whitey. Yeah. But uh, it honestly all... You crack it into a slotted spoon and auto, honestly all ran off like ran straight yolk, up but the, the yolk, yolk was, was perfect but there was no white and i was Weird. like this is crazy like why would that happen so then i got on jules website and they had like a blog post and it was saying that they actually when they're going to poach an egg if you want an egg that's closer to like how a restaurant's poached they do it at a bit of a higher temperature for 13 minutes and so they're doing it more similarly to the way you would do it in a pot yeah as opposed to an hour, or that's like an additional time to set. The no, light. just at at all. Oh. Instead of doing it at a low temperature for a long time. But then I'm like, well, would the yolk be the same? I mean, it seems like maybe it's complicated. And I was reading a lot of things about people that would like try to boil it for a bit and then do it. Um, but there, I mean, chefs have been doing this. So there must be some way. So I feel like that is maybe a problem with this with the app. I yeah. mean, like I said, or it's could a it beta. just be that like maybe eggs just aren't meant to be sous vide no way because definitely chefs do sous vide eggs all the time they actually do it at our cafeteria downstairs here in the Hearst Tower what mm-hmm. I've seen them do it so would you I guess you normally ask this but I'm gonna ask it this time <laughs> so would you buy this um I would yeah in fact I probably will buy it for my mom for Christmas and also for me a lot of egg themed things you've done on this podcast I like by eggs, the way man. don't think I'm not picking up I on do, this. well eggs are a complicated food I like eggs too yeah. I mean yeah they're I think the only things you can do with an egg That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Check out our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about making your own sausage, also check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.